Join us now for Health for Life, brought to you by Hamilton Healthcare System. Today we're talking with Dr. Ashish Kabir of Hamilton Physician Group in Dalton. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Kabir. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you are. Dr. Kabir is a neurologist at Hamilton Physician Group Neurology, located inside the Medical Plaza across from Hamilton Medical Center. He and Dr. Juan Gonzalez diagnose treat and manage issues related to the brain, spinal cord, nerves, and muscles. They specialize in the care and treatment of Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, seizure disorders, migraines, carpal tunnel syndrome, and strokes. Dr. Kabir, you know, I've got some questions about seizures. First, what is a seizure? Okay, um, so seizures are um, a condition where there are physical findings or changes in behavior that occur after abnormal brainwave activity, essentially. So what happens is your brain, um, instead of doing its normal tasks like, oh, you know, keeping you breathing, telling keeping your body parts sort of moving, all of that kind of stuff, they sort of, for reasons we don't quite completely understand, lose control and um, sort of rhythmically start firing. A part of the brain just starts firing and does its own thing. So I guess what we see in the patient um, can be of different types. So there's there's multiple different types of things that you can see. You can either have, um, uh, you know, specific symptoms or you can have more sort of things that you wouldn't think are seizures as symptoms as well. It's hard to tell when someone's having a seizure because you can have things that are as simple as the patient just stares for some time or just loses awareness, which you might not even notice because it's so brief. They can include symptoms like a brief black out or confusion periods, strange changes in behavior, picking at one's clothing or fingers, drooling, eye movements, grunting. Sometimes there can be mood changes, whole body shaking. Sometimes there's loss of bowel or bladder control associated with it. The patient can quickly just sort of fall down, you know. Um, there can be taste changes um, sometimes it can go on for some period of time and there can be changes in breathing. Sometimes breathing can stop um, and then there can be uncontrollable muscle spasms, which, uh, you know, can last a few seconds. Any of these symptoms can last minutes. Well, you, you've, you've mentioned many different types of seizures. Yes. Uh, what are the different types? So if you want to break seizures down into two major types, um, there's generalized and focal or partial seizures. If you have generalized seizures, typically both halves of the brain are involved and typically they're more um, they're more noticeable sometimes okay. you know so the patient could say cry out or lose consciousness or fall to the floor you're unlikely to um, see long generalized seizures as what was that you know they tend to be more uh, you know more uh, noticeable but uh, you know they don't have to be uh, absence seizures are generalized seizures and what's that called again absence seizures okay. it's essentially a quick staring episode sometimes the patient will just sort of blink a little bit and maybe pick at their fingers, but mostly they just kind of stop 
in time and then kind of restart. And that's all you'll see in the patient. Um, and Does that, the patient know they've done this? They don't. Um, a lot of the time, uh, the patient is just doing what they're doing. Then they have their seizure and they just continue what they're doing after. They're actually kind of very unusual behaviors to see. And people are just like, what just happened over there? Right. <laughs> you know, I understand. Time, sure. Yeah. Yes. And the person, he, they have, he or she has no idea. He or she has, often has no idea. Wow. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. You can also have uh, partial seizures or what used to be called petemol seizures, I guess, or focal seizures nowadays. Um, these are these are typically areas that don't affect uh, seizures that don't affect both sides of the brain. They typically affect one side or one area of the brain. And what can happen is a seizure that starts in one area of the brain can actually spread to the other side and become generalized. Or they can stay in one area. So you can just have, say, repeated hand movements. And that's all that continues because only one area of the brain that's responsible for controlling that particular hand area is the part that's that's abnormal and that's having that that's where the seizure is coming from. Sure, I heard you talked about talking just then, and as you talked, you said it might go to the other side. Right? Is it usually when you have a seizure, it only stays on one side of the brain? No. So um, that's a little hard to. Um, most seizures try to get across from one side of the brain to the other. So it'll um, affect the other side of your body. Uh, the others and affect the whole body or the other side of your body. That's right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So what happens is a seizure that starts on one side can have symptoms on one side and sometimes very quickly within seconds or less um, can go over to the other side of the brain and it can look like the whole body is affected and it's a generalized seizure where really, in fact, it was a, a, a focal seizure or a partial seizure that it started off as. I um, understand. Okay. Yes. And then just went to the other side. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So all of these uh, processes are um, relatively complex in terms of trying to diagnose them. But a neurologist can help you figure out exactly what kind of seizure you have. And of course, that has strong implications for treatment and, um, um, you know, uh, and disease course, you know, what will happen to you when you have seizures. So that's how you figure that out. Now, are there typically any warning signs before a seizure actually happens? Yes, there can be. Um, certain patients can feel unusual signs and symptoms like a feeling of fear or anxiety. People describe nausea or a feeling of something rising in their in their um, gut or chest. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you can have visual symptoms such as light or uh, flickering lights or things like that. You can have a feeling of vertigo. Um, but some seizures happen very quickly without any warning signs at all. So that actually um, uh, can be seen as well. It really depends on what happens inside the brain um, in terms of electrical activity. Um, and uh, as I say, we can tell that um, from uh, certain studies that we can, um, you know, uh, do on the patient to try to figure out where their seizures are coming from. Well, do you see a lot of young people and a lot of older people or both? Yes. So I'm glad you said that. So there's actually two peaks in seizure incidents, if that makes sense. So they're very common in children and young adults, mm -hmm. and then not that common in sort of, you know, between, say, about 25 to about, in you know, 50s, mid-50s or so. And then there's a peak again um, after age 55. So very common in the young, very common in the old, a little less common in that middle sort of age group. Well, do, do you feel like that... Uh, Maybe for the young, the brain is still developing, and then once it develops, we're good, and then as you get age on it, it 
starts to deteriorate again? Right. So that's part of it. Um, uh, the the developing brain um, uh, definitely goes through a lot of changes, and sometimes the brain, I guess, ma- makes mistakes, and mm-hmm. that's where seizures come from. But also a lot of genetic epilepsies or inherited epilepsies um, are seen in patients that are younger. Um, and, uh, um, you know, uh, whereas uh, seizures that, are, that occur or epilepsies that occur in patients that are older uh, tend to be more um, uh, provoked, if that makes sense, or have at least a triggering factor. So things like tumors or cancers in the brain, something like that, or um, strokes um, that can cause seizures um, are more frequent in, in the older population. And I think that's where some of the increased stroke incidence in that age group comes from. Now, a couple of times you mentioned epilepsy. If someone has a seizure, Does that mean they have epilepsy? Right. So I'll make that distinction. Um, There are many things that um, uh, can cause um, seizures that um, are a one-time thing. So, for example, things like low blood uh, sugars or high blood sugars, high fevers, alcohol withdrawal, drug withdrawal. These things can cause seizures. One seizure, one time. If you don't have low blood sugars again or high blood sugars again, in theory, you shouldn't have a seizure again. So those um, are called... um, Um, uh, provoked seizures. Um, When a patient has either two unprovoked seizures, 24 hours apart or longer, or what's known as a seizure syndrome, such as a genetic tendency to having seizures, um, that's called epilepsy. So epilepsy is the disease, I guess, where you're at um, higher risk of having seizures a number of times. Now, how do you diagnose epilepsy? Right. So epilepsy uh, diagnosis actually involves um, multiple test types that you can do. The most useful thing one would argue you is uh, the uh, history of what actually happened. So whenever you come to see a doctor, they're going to ask you in um, uh, prolonged uh, detail exactly what happened when you mm-hmm. had a seizure, what happened to you, what you, what was unusual about that day, you know, what led you to the event that you had. So that's probably the most important part of our workup. Um, the next most important part is probably a study called an electroencephalogram or an EEG. It's uh, where we put a, a bunch of electrodes around your head. Um, Essentially, they're little stickers like you would get for a heart study, like an EKG or something. And uh, we record your brain waves for some period of time. So uh, it doesn't tell us what you're thinking or anything like that. um, Or what kind of food you like. I immediately thought of that. I wonder if they could tell what I'm thinking. Uh, But it does tell us uh, a lot about how how at risk you are um, of having a seizure and, uh, you know, about the general organization of the brain. Um, uh, and uh, um, a number of other things as well. We typically uh, cal- uh, collect this data in the awake and asleep state. So oftentimes we'll tell you to stay up the night before you get the study. The study typically lasts about an hour at our lab uh, at uh, Hamilton Medical Center. And we do, um, you know, hundreds of these studies a year, sometimes thousands, depending. So we have a very good idea for what your brain waves should look like. And that gives us an idea for where your seizures might come from. Well, if you, if, if you, are able to diagnose someone 
uh, as having epilepsy, how are they treated? The mm -hmm. most typical way uh, of treating, the mainstay of treatment is um, is medicines. And, um, you know, there's been a huge change in new medicines that have come out that address various possible underlying causes for seizures. So there's about 30 to 35 or so medicines that are out in the market and choosing the right one is, uh, is, uh, is very important. About two-thirds of patients will respond to uh, medicines. Um, I would argue that most patients will respond to one or two well-chosen drugs. Sometimes it takes a little while, a few months, to figure out exactly what will work for the patient. Okay. But, uh, um, but most people respond to that. Dr. Kabir, most of us probably think that we know what a stroke is, but can you describe a stroke for us? So um, a stroke is when blood flow to a particular region of the brain is interrupted, mostly due to a clot blocking an artery um, that supplies that area of the brain. Other strokes um, also occur when um, the, the artery tears or there's bleeding inside the brain itself. So are strokes common? Yes. So um, a stroke um, is probably one of the most common neurologic emergencies that we see. In the United States, uh, someone has a stroke every 40 seconds and someone dies of a stroke every four minutes. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's a serious disease. It comes to a total of about 800,000 new strokes every year. The problem also with strokes is that many stroke survivors have serious disabilities, including problems with speech, memory, and movement. And it can significantly impact your quality of life after you've had a stroke. Now, can someone prevent a stroke from happening? Yeah. So the major things that you can control um, include risk risk factors such as high blood pressure, uh, getting heart disease looked at, high cholesterol, diabetes, and smoking. Heavy alcohol consumption and um, uh, drug use can be high uh, risk factors, especially in uh, stroke in young patients. Right. So those are all things that uh, you want to uh, curtail as much as possible to reduce your risk of stroke. If I'm with a friend or a family member and I suspect they're having a stroke, what are some of the signs of a stroke? I'm glad you asked that. Um, we like to make things as simple as possible in stroke because the uh, important thing when you suspect a stroke is to react quickly. So I'd like everybody to look at a little phrase called be fast um, and think about what it might stand for when it comes to a patient. Okay. So be fast, B-E-F-A-S-T stands for be, balance. So did the person quickly lose balance, coordination perhaps? E would stand for eye changes. So is the patient seeing double, seeing nothing in one eye or both eyes. F would stand for face changes. So facial droop is a common one. A would stand for arm weakness. S for speech. So any speech changes, all of a sudden garbled speech or you're trying to get a word out and strange words are coming out or nothing is coming out. Thankfully, what's great about that is if we can diagnose that quickly, uh, get to a uh, primary stroke center like Hamilton, we uh, can often restore a lot of that function, um, you know, oh. by that's acting good. quickly. Yes, yeah. So I, I want everyone to be as aware of that as possible. Okay. So um, uh, T, uh, the last letter, uh, is for time. And perhaps this is the most important part of uh, stroke, um, uh, of diagnosing someone with stroke. When did this happen? You know, um, and acting very quickly. So you see any of these symptoms, any of the other BFAST symptoms, I guess, um, you call 911 right away. Um, that gives the uh, the best chance of, uh, of full recovery. That's great. Dr. Kabir, thank you so much for being our guest today on Health for Life. For more information or an appointment at Hamilton Physician Group Neurology, call this number, 706-275-6121. 
706-275-6121. Thank you for listening to Health for Life, a presentation of Hamilton Healthcare System. This program in no way seeks to diagnose or treat illness or to replace professional medical care. Please see your health care provider if you have a health problem.